Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you please open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2, as we'll pick up there when you get there in verse 1. Daniel chapter 2, in a Bible study that I've entitled, How Do I Deal With My Anger? Because if you're going to walk in freedom from your past, we must deal with any lingering issues with anger. And there is a good anger, and there is a bad anger, a bad sinful anger. The word anger in the New Testament actually comes to us from two Greek words. One meaning to to have passion or energy, and the other word meaning agitated or boiling. And there is a good anger and a bad anger. See, biblically, anger is a God-given emotion intended to help us solve problems. Examples of biblical anger include David being upset over the injustice that Nathan the prophet shared with him in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Jesus, of course, is the example of righteous anger when he goes into the temple and he flips over the tables and says, what have you done to my father's house? John chapter 2, verse 13. But when you think of righteous anger, you need to notice that neither of the examples of biblical anger really involved any kind of self-defense, but rather a defense of others or of a principle. Let's be clear. Today in our Bible study, the anger that I'm referring to is sinful anger. The anger that I'll be sharing on is related to the sinful outburst of wrath that the Bible calls a work of the flesh or sin in Galatians chapter 5. Because there is an anger that God uses in our lives to move us to action that arises out of seeing unfairness or injustice, to warn us, to ready, to warn us to avoid harm in the future. But sinful, unrighteous anger is something that as the church we need to deal with and it needs to be deal with, dealt with quickly because it is sinful, unrighteous anger is the most justified, excused sins within the church. And, and all sorts of excuses arise. You know, experts tell us that those that are seeking help professionally from counselors or psychologists, experts tell us that more than 50% of people who ask for help are actually dealing with an anger issue in their lives. That's really the root of it, both believers and unbelievers. I I think of my personal experience ministering to people, that number is actually higher. That some of the things happening in your life, some of the divisions, some of the marital issues, some of the stuff with your kids, actually the root of it is your unrighteous anger and your unwillingness to admit it and your unwillingness to repent from it. You know, anger is just emotion that is a controlling emotion. Anger arises when we feel offended and we feel like something's outside of our control. We automatically, many, will jump in and try to control the situation through anger. I mean, it starts with a simple offense. It starts with the feeling that I've been wronged or that this is wrong. And and it comes from a place of hurt. Now, of course, there are deeper hurts in this room that have led to anger. But in general, I mean, if you put yourself on I-25, heading to work, singing a worship song unto the Lord, meditating on the Bible study that you just heard the previous Sunday, you're heading to work on Monday morning, and you just couldn't be more in tune with heaven. You're just so encouraged, so much so that you've got to remember, keep my hands on the wheel because I'm driving, and I'm just in the Spirit, just enjoying what God is doing in my life, and then what happens? Somebody cuts you off, and you feel offended. You are hurt by that, which you don't even sense the hurt. You don't even acknowledge the offense because anger comes that fast. And you become a different person. And all of the responses that come, some people are crazy enough to go follow, catch up to that person and say something to them through closed windows. That's really going to help. But people do that. You know, you might flip them off. You might start cussing at them or yelling at them. Yeah, believers, you're like, you're so like, and you're like, oh, what am I doing? And because you, you haven't learned that, man, it's okay. Everything's going to be fine. It's not that big a deal. But you got such a habit of hurt. And yeah, they did something wrong. 
But instead of that quick link, well, you know, maybe they're in a hurry, maybe you're upset and you're offended. Like it's your lane and your highway and, and it's real. This is a real issue. And if you think of that in the context of how anger is such a root of many things, you know, when you're offended and you don't deal with it biblically, it gets worse. So when you're offended, then you get upset. Not necessarily angry, but just upset. This is wrong, this is wrong. But then you don't deal with the being upset, right? And then you become frustrated. And then over frustration, you, you start to get bitter. And now everybody on the road is a horrible driver and everybody, and, and, and now you're bitter and then you become unforgiving. And you're like, how did I get up? How did I get like this? Well, because you never dealt with the original offense by carrying it to the Lord and trusting him in his sovereignty in your life. And the key to get out of this cycle is just forgiving people. Just forgive. Release them from the debt that they owe you. And you can move forward in your life. But when you do this for years and years and years, you can see how rooted anger can be in a person's life. 50%, I think it's more. Anger is so devastating, it rips apart relationships, it destroys unity, and it hurts so many. And yet the good news is that Jesus replaces our flesh, the fleshly act of the outburst of wrath, with the fruit of the Spirit. And he wants to deliver you today. He's not merely identifying the issue in our lives. He wants to deliver you. He wants you to be free from anger. He wants you to walk in the Spirit. And he dwells in every single believer listening to me, working these things in your life. If you will simply confess your sin and surrender your life to him. Because you know as well as I do, your angry self is not getting you what you desire. I have met many, many people that regret the life of anger that they lived. All the while, it's kind of like the way I described it to someone yesterday, it's kind of like, like God laying a whole feast out for you and say, come and enjoy the feast. I look at the meal I've provided for you and you are eating warmed up Big Mac that you bought last week that still has green things growing on it. And you're like, yeah, this is what I like. Rah, 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 rah. This is what I like. And God's given you everything to live life. And we're so settling for things that are so below the life of the believer. Notice with me in Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I've had a dream, my spirit is anxious to know the dream. And the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we'll give you the interpretation. But the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made an ash heap. I think it's safe to say Nebuchadnezzar has an anger issue in his life. And if things don't go his way, he's going to take his power and hurt someone. I mean, he literally is threatened to kill them, which he has the power to do, and burn down all of their houses, which belong to their families. But this doesn't stop here. Notice with me in verse 12. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious, and he gave a command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. Look at chapter 3, verse 13. He says, then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they brought him before the king. Look at verse 19 of chapter 3. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. His anger progressed, and he was filled with rage. And this part of life is an area that is completely destructive, like a fire. It destroys everything in its past. And the problem with anger is that it destroys people, the people that Jesus died for, including the angry person. This emotion can be so destructive, so hurtful, that it will forever harm the person it's pointed toward. But it's also an area for the believer that's often excused. And you might hear it when somebody says, you're just angry, bro, just deal with that. And you go, no, no, I was, you know, I, I'm, this, I, I'm this kind of ethnicity. So we're, oh, you know, that just, we're always angry. And it's just making an excuse. Or, 
Oh no, Ed, you know, that, that's just, they deserved it. And I wasn't as angry as you, and, and you just keep, de- or how about the real popular one around Christians? Let me just say, and, I, and hopefully you receive this, just say that you know, like, Christians are the best at justifying their sin. And wrapping it around with nice little verses and putting a bow on it, go, oh no, and this is the way you do it with anger. And I'm sure you've heard this before. You, you know, you're looking at a rage and a fury and an outburst of wrath, and the person says, oh, that was righteous anger. Come on now. Righteous anger? You can't even tell me about this episode without being, having righteous anger. Like it's all, you're still angry about it. And God just doesn't want us to justify. He wants us to confess and forsake. So somebody's going, didn't Jesus turn over the tables? Yes. And didn't, shouldn't we be angry at abortion? Yes. And shouldn't we be angry when we see evil on the news? Yes. And can't we be angry as long as we don't sin? Yes, yes, yes. There are certain areas where there is an appropriate anger and anger is appropriate. Yes. When we see sin, when we see evil, but that's not the king here and that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about sinful anger. Sinful anger is our target and how God forbids it and enables us with the very power of the Spirit of God to avoid it walking in the Spirit. And and just know, God can deliver you from your anger. I would even put it this way. God has delivered you from your anger as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. And you and I, we respond by faith, trusting him, trusting him to work out his spirit in our life. We trust him. That we know that God is developing in us a tremendous work of his spirit love joy peace patience kindness goodness and so what we're going to look at today is biblical wisdom on anger it's not an exhaustive study but enough for us to turn our hearts toward God because worldly wisdom on this topic is not the same as godly wisdom now there are some great suggestions there are some great things that are available to us in our world professionals trained helping us with some of the outward things but worldly wisdom is not the same as God's wisdom and that's an important distinction to find so I I did a Google search of ways to handle anger and I just wanted to read what was out there and so I came across a very trusted medical community known as the Mayo Clinic you may have heard of them and they have an article anger management 10 steps to, or 10 tips to tame your temper. And I'm like, that's good. So let me read to you the 10 things that the Mayo Clinic says. Number one, think before you speak. In the heat of the moment, it's easy to say something later that you'll regret. I mean, just right there, if you've ever been in an, in an anger episode, either someone else or yourself, like, it's too late. You've already lost your thinking. You're out of control. But I, I get it. I mean, maybe... I don't even know how you would. Anyway, number two. Once you're calm, express your anger. What? After you're angry, calm down and express your anger. But that's the way the world looks at things. Number three, how about this one? Get some exercise. Sweat out. Sweat into the oldies to get rid of your anger. Physical activity can reduce stress. I mean, I get that. I like, I, I like to sweat things out. Number four. Take a timeout. Put yourself in a timeout. He says, oh, timeouts are not just for kids. But in an angry episode, take a timeout. That's the whole, you should have took a timeout before you got angry. Number five, identify possible solutions. Instead of on focusing on what you made you mad, work on resolving the issue at hand. Okay. Number six, stick with I statements. To avoid criticizing or placing blame, which might only increase tension, use I statements to describe the problem. I mean, but again, by the time you're in your episode, it's too late. How about this? Number seven. This is very biblical. Don't hold a grudge. They tap on very good wisdom there. Forgive and release. Forgiveness is a powerful tool, they say. How about this one? (laughs) Number eight. Use humor to release tension. Can you imagine that? Rah, 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 rah. Oh, by the way, knock, knock. You know, it's like... How about this one, number nine? Practice relaxation skills. When your temper flares, put relaxation skills to work. Practice deep breathing exercises. Imagine a relaxing scene or repeat a calming word or phrase such as, take it easy. 
Can you imagine? You're in the middle. You're all right, take it easy, take it easy, take it easy. Like in somebody else, take it easy. You're like, oh, take it easy. Like, it's right here. I'm not making it. It says right here, take it easy. It says right here. Number 10, know how to seek help, which is wise. You know, ask for help and don't, don't be all prideful about it, but get some help. But see, the worldly wisdom, even these are some, there are some good tips. I'm, I'm not minimizing tips. I say this, listen, I say this. You do whatever it takes to bring your temper down a notch. You do use tools, anything short of sin. Use tools so that you're not flipping out all the time. I agree, but listen, if you only listen to the way the world approaches this, you will never deal with the root issue. And the root issue is very simple. You are a sinner. And this is a rooted bitterness in your heart and this attempt to control the situation by yelling, screaming, whatever you're doing. And it's sin that needs to be confessed and repented of. That's the root. And it's not just a bunch of skills you get from the Mayo Clinic or the feedback that I'll share with you. If you want more information on this, email me, ed at edtaylor.org, O-R-G, ed at edtaylor.org, and I'll respond to that email with links for more resources. Now, if you've already responded through the forgiveness study, it's the same resources because they go hand in hand. There's a pamphlet on forgiveness and reconciliation and a pamphlet on how to deal with your anger and bitterness. They go together. Very powerful tools. And I, I say use as many tools as possible short of sin. But if you neglect the root issue, that it's a spiritual issue, that it's a heart issue, then things will not improve. It's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by my spirit saying, saith the Lord. It's his ability. So let me establish for you that there is such a thing as sinful anger. Jot it down in James chapter one, verse 19. I'll read it to you. First, I'll read it from the New Living Translation. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Your anger can never make things right in God's sight. Listen to that. Your anger, the Bible says, can never make things right in God's sight. Just accept that by faith, church. That's the teaching of God in his Bible. He's the one that created us. He knows us the best. Your anger can never make things right in God's sight. Or in how we are familiar with it in a New King James, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Never, ever, ever, never. It never does anything right. And we find that this is an important principle to hold on to. That the wrath of man is just not going to do it. It's not going to take you where you want to go. In the spirit, though, when you submit to him, God can temper our tempers. Jesus can strengthen us and teach us how to take it down a notch. Not just in repeating little words and phrases, but literally removing the root of anger from our hearts, enabling us to forgive. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11 says, a fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. And it's not okay to blow up. It's not okay. A young lady once came to the great evangelist Billy Sunday after he delivered a message, a strong stirring message on the topic of anger. And she was trying to rationalize and justify and explain away her anger. And she told the pastor after the service, there's nothing wrong with losing my temper, she said. I blow up and then it's all over. To which the pastor said very quickly back to her, so does a shotgun, ma'am, and look at the damage that it leaves behind. And it's true. Anger always leaves damage and long-term damage. And might I just add, some of you, some of you are reeling from someone else's anger towards you. That you've responded in an unbiblical way and now you're hurting yourself. And you say, well, Ed, that's to be expected then. Nebuchadnezzar, he's an unbeliever. He doesn't know God. He, he's a, he's a, a rank, rebellious man against God. Of course he'd be angry. But me, I'm a believer. Like, most of my anger is righteous. And I could never be like Nebuchadnezzar. And I could never have that fury and rage and wrath in my life. Well, anger is a universal issue for followers of God and lovers of God and those that don't love God. And you say, well, Ed, is there any other examples in the Bible of maybe a follower of God that had an anger issue? There actually is. You'd be surprised by his name. His name is Moses. 
Moses had a serious anger issue. He, he dealt with anger that progressively ruined his life. Moses did not enter into the promised land because of his anger. Because anger is a devastating emotion. And we see it through his life, though. There's a stream of anger that he never dealt with. And perhaps, perhaps, we don't know for sure, but I've seen it lived out today, where you don't deal with anger and, you know, you have an outburst and you get on with life. You have an outburst, you get on with life. And you kind of think, well, God didn't convict me of it. And my, my family's still together. I didn't lose my job. And so you kind of think, well, it wasn't that big a deal. And, and it is a big deal every single time. And you don't want to confuse the patience of God as his approval. You, you don't want to confuse the mercy of people around you with the fact that they didn't get hurt by what you said or what you did. That the email you sent was actually pretty nasty. And you shouldn't have sent it. You should have prayed. And you know what you posted up on Facebook because you saw this and you had an opinion. and uh, You know, it actually hurt people and stumbled people. And it's possible that you're not thinking and you're such in a rage and anger that you don't remember, that you don't, you don't realize that you're stumbling people from following Jesus Christ because of your anger. You've got to deal with it. You could lose out on the promises of God. Not that you would not be a believer. I'm talking to believers here. But you'll, move, you'll lose out of all that God has for you because you're stuck in not being willing to confess and forsake the sin of anger every single time, constantly, continual, moment by moment, abiding relationship in Jesus Christ. For Moses, you remember, it started in Exodus chapter two. He killed a guy. He literally killed a guy. He thought he was doing something good for God and he saw a battle between, you know, fight between an Israeli and an Egyptian and boom, he went over and killed the guy had to spend the next 40 years in the desert. Murder is, is tied to anger, you know that. Murder is tied to anger. And, and that's where, too, as Christians, we go, well, you know, Ed, I've never really murdered anyone. I never, yeah, yeah, but, but you gotta listen to Jesus very carefully. Remember, he took us up on the Sermon on the Mount in the beginning of the book of Matthew, and he started teaching us about the heart issues, and he actually taught us about murder. You Bible students remember that. He said, for those of you that have anger in your heart towards someone, you've actually murdered them in your heart. We're more guilty of things than we're willing to admit. And if we just come back to Jesus Christ and allow him to teach us and lead us, it's an amazing thing of the freedom that he has for you and waiting for me. You see, Moses, he killed this guy and then he went to the backside of the desert for 40 years and then God brought him back. And he started obeying God. He got to see God. He got to hear from him. He, he led the children of Israel out of, out of slavery. He stood up to Pharaoh. I mean, that's an amazing thing. Like God was just doing a great work in his life. And then we see his anger again. And his anger, his anger got the best of him. And it hurt him. And even though the Bible describes him as, now Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth, he was faithful and sensitive and obedient and self-sacrificial, but he also had an ongoing area inside of him that he never dealt with. So he sinned in anger, then he had an obedience. Then in Exodus 16, he has another time where some of them did not listen. This was around the manna and the quails. The Bible says in Exodus 16:20, some of them didn't listen and kept some of it until morning. But by then it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. And Moses was very angry with them very angry with them. And then the people gathered together and then he had a life of obedience. It was his last episode. Well, he's angry again, described in Exodus 32 as he's burning with anger. And it's progressive. And it was his last episode that would hold him back. But before we get to that, I believe it's time to speak to parents. Directly to those of you that are parents, grandparents, maybe even great-great-grandparents. And I'm speaking to parents specifically that have anger issues and you are an angry person with your children. You're an angry person and this can also extend you're an angry person with your spouse. But for those of you that are angry with your kids, listen, hear me. Sinful anger is destructive to your children. Sinful anger is destructive to your children. Some of you here today are self-deceived into thinking that your anger is raising righteous and godly kids that love God with all their heart, soul, and mind. It's not. It's actually doing the exact opposite. 
your out-of-control anger at home. But you don't understand, Ed. This is how I was raised. This is how my great-grandfather was. This is how my grandpa was. This is how my dad was. And now I'm like this. And you know, my, my dad, my grandpa, they made it out okay. Listen, if you had a careful examination of your dad, your grandpa, great-grandpa, what you would find is they didn't make it out okay as much as you think. That their parents' anger deeply wounded them and hurt them, which is why they became angry which it gets handed down from each person, mom or dad. I I understand of which I speak. I grew up in a very angry home. Very lovely, wonderful parents, but an extremely angry home. And that's how one of my parents chose to parent me. Albeit I was a challenging kid. I was a difficult kid. But challenging and difficult kids do not deserve to be treated by angry parents. Now, you have to understand, my parents are in heaven right now, and we settled everything a long time ago. So all is well with them. They did the best that they could with what they had. God was gracious and merciful to us, and all is well. And they're in heaven right now rejoicing, and, and I am okay 100%. For, where forgiveness has flowed, everything is great. So I don't want you to misunderstand this, where you, you miss out that God's speaking to you. <clears throat> I just want you to know that it's not an unusual thing to have this anger streak in you because of how you grew up and how you were treated. I don't want you to be self-deceived anymore either. I'm going to give you four things that happens when you run your house by anger. I want you to know four things that happen to your kids. I don't want you to be self-deceived any longer because you were wounded and angry. Now you're acting that way in your own home. And here's what happens with kids. Here's what happens with kids when they live in an angry home. Number one, when you're angry and out of control with your kids, number one, you are gonna get compliance. They are going to do what you tell them to do. Here's the problem. When they comply and they have immediate compliance because of your anger, you misinterpret compliance as godly obedience. And that's not what it is. It's not godly obedience. Your kid isn't necessarily, now this isn't all the time, but your kid's not necessarily complying by the Lord. They're scared and they want you to stop. They're smart enough to pick that up. Our kids are hyper intelligent, like they know what's going on. They they are scared and they will do whatever it takes for you to stop and calm down. Number two, when you're angry with your kids, the second thing that happens to them is they begin to harden their hearts. They're actually hardening their hearts towards you, towards you, because that's what happens. Very difficult to follow an angry person because it breaks the line of trust and it's hard to trust someone that you're scared of. And you say, well, wait a minute, my kids have never told me that. Let me tell you why they never tell you that. They're afraid of you. And some of the kids are so small, they don't know how to formulate this. They're just developing their thinking. They don't know how to formulate Something's massively wrong in my house. And I need to talk to my parents about it. They're just kids. The third thing that happens with kids in an angry home is they become fearful. And we've touched on it, but I want it to have its own because I want you to remember, I'm six feet one. So that if your kiddo comes up and hugs me and they're two, two and a half feet, I'm a monster to them. I'm huge. We don't look like that. Very few people, like we don't live like that anymore, but your kiddos are small and I'm tall. You're bigger than your kids. And you're probably, you know, in, in more stronger than your kids and, and more capable. And so when you're off flying off the handle, they look up, they're scared. They're scared. And they shut down, harden their heart towards you. And you think they're obeying. You got obedient, godly kids, but they're just scared. And then the fourth thing that happens with your kids is something I call avoidance. Because I think everyone here today that are parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, we all want the same thing with our kids. We want them to to love God, serve Him with all their heart, soul, and mind, and we want to enjoy our kids all the way to eternity. We want them to be a part of our lives. We want to be a part of their lives. We want them to call us, text us, be a part of their lives. But when at a young age they grow up in an angry home, they learn to avoid you. They learn to avoid you. The least amount of time that I need to face your anger, the better. So I choose to avoid you. And if that never gets corrected over time, they avoid as adults. 
They just don't want to deal with it. And think of this, church. Mix in drugs, mix in alcohol, mix in drunkenness, and it's a disaster in Christian homes, yes, in those that say they follow God, in those that, and, and you're at this point where like, I didn't even know this and God wants to reveal it to you. Your kids are precious in the sight of the Lord and I know you love them. I know you care for them and it's never too late to get back on track. Never too late to get back on track to express love to your kids. Never. Now, before I was saved, Anger was a predominant thing in my life. Partly because that's the kind of home I grew up in, but partly because I chose to. It was my responsibility. And so as I was older and I entered into a permanent relationship, a serious relationship with Marie, that's how I treated her. And then when we had our son, that's how I treated Eddie. Eddie got most of the bear, had the bear of our children, most of the issue of God working this out in my life. Because then I got saved. And I was born again. And God delivered me from that root of anger and that wrath of man. Because I, I started raising my son just like that. Like it's just like, hey, you just yell at them. They do what you're supposed to. And that's just, that's it. That's how, I, that's how my home was. Then I got saved. And God began that sanctifying work in me and, and ripped away that thinking and gave, replaced it with the right kind of thinking. To love my kids, to serve them, to encourage them, to disciple them, to train them. Now, no parent is perfect, so don't, don't think of that for me. Don't think of that for you. God meets us where we are in his grace. But I'm going to give you a tool today that will stop the madness. It will stop. It will do something to you, and it will do something to your kids. God gave it to me. Of all the tools he gave me as a parent, all the books I read, all the things, everything he taught me about being a parent, this has been by far, I don't have to do it anymore, but I'm going to show it to you. Um, this has been by far one of the most effective things because I never saw it in my house. I never heard it in my house, never. And this is what, let me show you. Everybody watch me, come on, it's because it's visual. So watch up here, get your attention. This is what I want you to learn how to do. I want you to learn how to get down on your knees, look your kids in the eye and say, will you forgive me? I was wrong and I sinned against you in my anger. And then in, and ask your kid, will you pray for me? I'm telling you, it is one of the most powerful God-honoring things that you can do in life. And it's never too late. I think of the little kiddos that can't express themselves, but those little kiddos grow up. And you can still do this. Don't get down on your knees. Stay standing up. But, you know, you'll go, will you forget? You know, maybe you do. Who knows? Maybe you put yourself in the position they were all those years. And it just opens the floodgates, which leads us to our study on forgiveness, right? That opens the door for God to do a reconciling work. But it, you are free. And I know that as I talk to my parents and we talk through this as adults, I know that they, they shared with me, Ed, this is how I was raised. This was the home I grew up in. And I know the story of my family. And, and they said, this is the tools that we had. This was the best. That we, and, I, and I believed them. Like I said, it all worked out. But it worked out through communication and humility. It worked out through forgiveness. And church, you know, there's a lot of studies being done today about how the kids after high school were losing them. We're losing them. They're, they don't walk with God anymore. I'm going to suggest to you they stopped walking with God in the third grade. Those that lived in an angry home. And now they just live in a fake home where they come to Sunday school, learn something, and then boom, they're back into the, like, it's just, it's just devastating. It's devastating. I know there's a lot of reasons why kids aren't following the Lord later on, but some of those reasons for church kids is they didn't live in a family that, they didn't live in a home that honored God, and primarily because anger was the predominant emotion. Now they view God like angry. I don't want anything to do with dad. I don't want anything to do with God or mom for that sake. And so God wants to release you. It even happened to Moses. Let me show you as we close a couple things I want to show you. It happened to Moses, and the last time it happened with Moses was it. So turn with me over to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. As the final episode in the life of Moses' anger, like he got all these other episodes and God was gracious, God was gracious, but the last one, he went too far. And let me just say, the last one in your life will be you going too far. I promise you. 
Uh, most of the time we speak with people that come in, it was become a, the last time of their anger. It's the last time of your anger that lands you in the back of a police car. It's the last time of your anger that lands you in a bar, getting drunk, driving home drunk, and hurting someone. It's the last part of your anger where your wife finally walks out on you and files the papers. It's the last time of your anger where your kids finally rebel. I mean, you go, you, it's the last one, but it doesn't have to be. You see, the last one of your anger could be met with repentance. And you don't have to go that far. I'm not speaking now of the episodes that we get frustrated. Everybody has them. Kids have them, I have them, we all have them. I'm not speaking to that. I'm speaking to the in, ongoing, constant outbursts of wrath and sinful anger that surrounds your life. And the last one you'll regret. So why not just make the last one the one you repent and you learn how to live a life of repentance? Because if you notice in Numbers chapter 20, and I'm going to show you something I bet you've never noticed before. I'm going to show you something that is powerful and eye-opening. Pick up in verse 7. Verse 7. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together. Speak to the rock before their eyes. So let's pause here, church, and go on a little lesson. God told Moses to do what? Speak to the rock. Say it out loud. Speak to the rock. How do we speak? With our mouths. Very simple. You get it? If you were Moses, would you understand what to do? Yes? Speak to the rock. Pretty easy. Can you imagine you're in your kitchen table in the morning doing your devos and God says, go outside to your backyard and speak to the rock. Do you know what he's telling you to do? Go outside to your backyard and speak to the rock. I know it's elementary, but sometimes we have to get super simple because we take what God's word says and we twist it. And that's where we get in trouble. This is very simple. Go speak to the rock and then what will happen? It will yield its water and you'll bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So we learn something about God here. He wants to quench the thirst of the children of Israel. That's what he wants to do. He wants to bless them. He wants to take care of them. He wants to use Moses in the middle so that they get the water that they need for them and their animals, that God loves them. Now, this has been years and years and years of rebellion, years and years of difficulty. And what's God's perspective? I love them. Give them the water. And Moses, I want you, this is how you're going to do it. It's going to be a great miracle. Go to the rock, talk to it, and everybody's going to be happy. All right, Moses, what did you do? So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said to, what does your Bible say? Them. Whoa, wait a minute. What did God say? Speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. What does Moses do? He speaks to them. You tell me you haven't made that mistake before. Where God made something so clear and on the way, you changed it. Why did he change it? Because he's angry. The truth of God gets distorted when we live in the flesh. He's an angry man, and instead of speaking to the rock, he speaks to them, and he says, verse 10, Hear now, you rebels. Must we bring water out of the rock for you? Okay, let's ask that question. We're Bible students. If Moses came as a guest today and said, what do you guys think? Should I provide water for the people? The answer is yes. Why? Because God said, go talk to the rock because I'm going to bless them. Boy, he doesn't end there because it gets worse. He takes his rod, verse 11, and he strikes the rock twice. And water came out abundantly. The congregation of the animals drank. So understand, walk with me here. He did the wrong thing more than one time, expressed anger. He then hit the rock and water came out. Do you know the conclusion he came to, maybe that you would come to too, is that you did it the right way because water came out. Oh, I know he told me to speak to the rock, but I did it my way. Water came out. So it's okay. Everything's fine. I got what I wanted. People got what they wanted. But that's not how God views our disobedience. Our disobedience is just that in the eyes of God. It's sinful. It's not. You, you, got, you know, with God tells you to speak to the rock, speak to it. And, and don't strike it at all. But, but notice what Moses didn't know. And a lot of times God will tell you to do something and you don't know. Like God's working in your life right now and you don't know. 
why this situation's in your life. You don't know why he gave you that instruction. You don't know. But when we don't know, there's no excuse for us to be disobedient. So he didn't know that the rock was actually a picture and a type of Jesus Christ. We learn that in Corinthians. And that the rock giving forth water was the picture that God wanted to show us and every other generation that when Jesus would stand on the steps there going into the temple on the teaching steps and he would say, anybody thirsty, let him come to me. And out out of his innermost being will flow what? Rivers of living water. And that when Jesus was struck, he was struck how many times? One time, not twice. So you can get clear direction from God and totally mess it up, and God does what he wants to do, and don't think because you disobeyed that God is pleased by your disobedience. Because that's a very pragmatic approach. Well, it worked. No, it actually didn't work. And you say, Ed, well, prove it to me. I will. Notice verse 12. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me. So pause there for a second. Where in the world in this text does it say that Moses didn't believe him? It doesn't, does it? So God is looking at Moses' life and saying, your anger made you an unbeliever. Anger is unbelief, a form and a fashion of unbelief. Because you didn't believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, Therefore, you shall bring this congregation into the land which I'm giving them, but you're not going in, he'll say later. You, you, you shall not, I should say, bring this congregation into the land I'm giving them. Now, many times we've taught this, I've been taught this, that Moses didn't go in because he didn't honor the Lord, he didn't represent the Lord. That's true, but now you understand why he, how he didn't represent God properly. His anger, his disobedience, his twisting of the word of God his inability to completely obey and his misrepresentation of, the, of everything that God had. God loved those people even in their rebellion just like he loves you and he didn't enter in. A couple things and then we'll head out. If you're still unconvinced about this sin of anger and you're considering like, well, maybe I, I'm still, still going to be angry at it. I just think I'm okay and it's all right. Let me give you five things that you should ask yourself when you're starting to justify your anger, and if all five of these things are, are applicable at the same time, you have to have all five of them, then God says, go ahead and be angry. Number one, if, you ang- if you're angry and you don't sin. Number two, if you're angry and you don't go to sleep with it, right? Don't let the um, sun go down on your wrath, the Bible says. Number three, if your anger is from God and not from your own selfishness and desire to control. Number four, if your anger achieves the righteousness of God, and then number five, if your anger comes slowly. If you have all five of those things, then you can proceed carefully and safely with anger. But you know that rarely do these things occur in our lives. It's a control mechanism, and we're just annoyed. A lot of our anger comes from annoyances. And you see, anger, unforgiveness, and bitterness are all cousins. I had a brother come up after service last night. He was just in tears. A grown man in tears because as we're describing this scenario, I was describing his house and he was upset with his kid because they didn't put the window down. Didn't put the window down. The air conditioning is going out the window and that was the trigger for him to be flip off the handle. It's just not from the Lord for any of us. The Bible says, Colossians chapter 3, now is the time to get rid of anger. Proverbs 29 says, an angry person starts fights. And so here's the key, because Jesus said this in John, or excuse me, Luke chapter 6. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. And listen... A good person from, produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, Luke 6, 43. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what's in your heart. Or we learn it from the New King James, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So this is what Jesus teaches us. Anger is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. That, that's it. 
The problem of your anger is a heart issue. And because we don't know our own hearts, the Bible says in Psalm 139, it says, search me, O God, Psalm 139, verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of righteousness. Reveal any hidden sin in me, God, that which offends you and hurts others. And then once he reveals it, the answer is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive. Not just feel bad about anger, but confess it and repent of it as the sin that it is. And let God start to do the work in your heart. And then according to Philippians chapter four, you start filling your heart and mind with that which is good, noble, good report. We meditate on good things. So in the abundance of our heart, it's filled with the grace of God and the mercy of God because he loves you and it's never too late. It's never too late. It's never too late ever to get right with God, never. Because Moses, Moses didn't get into the promised land with that next generation. Or did he get into the promised land? He did. You're right. A careful reading of the scriptures tell us that he did not get in with the generation. He died on the other side of the promised land. But you know, he did get into the promised land by the grace of God. That's how much God loved Moses. And you say, what do you mean, Ed? Well, you Bible students, you remember there was a time when Jesus was up on a mountain. They called it the mountain of transfiguration. You guys remember that? He's up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's met by two people that are fully alive. Their names, Elijah and Moses. You bet he got in because God loves you too. He's gracious and caring and compassionate and he wants what's best for your family. He doesn't forbid sin just because it is against his holiness and his glory, although that is serious. He forbids sin in our lives also because it destroys us. And any good dad would protect his kids from that which destroys us. And let me stand here before you as a living example that God has changed my life. You have not met the old Ed. And for that, I'm sure you're grateful. But I haven't met the old you either, most of you. And I'm glad that we met in Christ, that we are in him that he is doing the work in our lives. And that before my son passed away, we settled all this stuff when he was a little guy. He was so forgiving and loving, everything is great. And then my, my other children were born into a godly home, not to perfect parents, but to growing, sanctifying parents where we work out our differences, we humble ourselves, we ask each other for our forgiveness, and we let the Spirit of God work through our weaknesses. That's God's will for your family and God's will for your kids and your grandkids, for your marriage. He wants to work by His Spirit. One last thing, and I know time has gotten away from us, but just in case you're still not convinced that anger is a big deal in the Bible, I just went to the Proverbs and jotted down a few Proverbs. So let me read them to you. Just let them fill the room here, and then we'll head out. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 16. A fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. So if the worship team can come up right now too, uh, you guys can just come up right now. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 16. A fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. 14.17, short-tempered people do foolish things and schemers are hated. 14.29, people with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. 15.18, a hot-tempered person starts fights. A cool-tempered person stops them. 16.32, better to be patient than powerful, better to have self-control than to conquer a city. 19.11, Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. 29.11, fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. Psalm 37.8, stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. So I do believe a Bible study like this today requires a response. But because of the sensitivity of the topic, I don't believe the Lord would have me to have you walk up or stand up or raise your hand, but the response will be with you. I believe you need to confess that sin if that's you today, that as we pray and we kind of have this natural thing, we're going to pray and have a song, but it's not natural and a routine. Like when I'm praying, you should be praying. 
And I'm gonna ask you to respond to this message, whether it's for yourself, for a spouse, for a parent, wherever you are, that as we end in prayer, and then Pastor Ian will take us into worship, that we just, you respond. You don't need to stand, you don't need to walk up here, although the men and women on the prayer team and the pastors will be up after a service, you might need that. There was a lot of tears at, at the stage the last couple services. Cry it out. Let God wash you through those tears that you shed. Every single tear you shed is kept in a bottle by God. And don't leave here condemned. The Bible says that he's cleansed you from an evil conscience by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we can't change the past, but we can change the future. And that's God's will. He wants this church alive and filled with the Spirit. He doesn't want us hiding sin. He doesn't want us messing around with sin. He doesn't want us uh, uh, as the victims of abuse or the ones that are giving abuse. He wants cleanliness, purity, and he's doing the work. You just meet him there. And so, Father, I pray as we head out in each of the services that we've had, the church, our precious friends and family online and the radio that you'd release. Lord, hear the prayer. Some, some of you need to pray out loud uh, so your spouse can hear you. They've been waiting for this. This could be the day that they've been waiting for for a long time. And you can just pray. Now, it doesn't have to be out loud where I hear it, but just enough for your spouse or your kids. Or you pick up your kids in the Sunday school. You can just get on your knees right there and ask for forgiveness or in the car. And that, God, yeah, I would just release, God, the power of your Holy Spirit on our church, that you would have your way with us that there would therefore now be no condemnation for those that are in Christ and that we would walk in the newness of life and we would walk with cleansed consciences and that we would live for you, Lord, and you would rescue and redeem us and we would make a life change in the days we have left. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.